Welcome to Nicosia Uncut. Guess what? We begin the new year with an extensive discussion on the Cyprus problem. And trust us, it's not that boring. Well, maybe just a little bit. Hi, hello Andromahi. Hello Kemal and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, in our last podcast, we try to understand what might happen in 2021 and uh, we are already in 2021. We are doing the first show of the new year. I'm happy to say that Nicosia Ankat is the most listened podcast of Island Talks so far. Well, I'm glad about this, but I believe that the Island Talks has a series of very good podcasts. It is good to see people engaging all the more with the station. Well, we were discussing about Cyprus problem, of course, in our last podcast. And uh, now, in January 2021, UN Secretary General Special Envoy Ms. Lutizun in town already, talking to the Cypriot leaders. We have the latest report of the United Nations Secretary General to the UN Security Council coming up. In its uh, unofficial versions, we have seen that both the Island Talks podcast station and the United Cyprus Now movement, which we are both actively in, got mentioned as positive developments. Uh, so I think we should be taking some pride in this. Yes, it was a pleasant surprise to see both UCN and Island Talks being mentioned in uh, in the report. And to be honest, you know, these have been very difficult times for bicommunal activities. And it is worthwhile noting that uh, the UN Secretary General mentioned at least some of the attempts that are being made by movements on the ground in order to keep the spirit alive. I'm sure there are many more uh, activists and uh, people who are trying to keep the bicommunal mentality and spirit alive in these very difficult circumstances. And it is important to see it being acknowledged at this level. I hope to see it being acknowledged more in Cyprus as well, to be honest, <laughs> rather than by internationals. So what do you see when you look at the picture nowadays? We have the report, we have the loot in town, we have the preparations for an uh, informal 5 plus 1 conference. So how do you see the picture? Well, I think it is clear that we are entering this final road towards the informal 5 plus 1 conference that will take place. I, it will definitely take place either towards the end of January or in, in February. Regarding the UN Secretary General report, there weren't any surprises in it. It was a very subtle and low-key report. Uh, well, understandably, because they are trying to build a momentum ahead of, of this informal 5 plus 1 party conference. So not a, a lot of expectations were built through the um, report. And at the same time, not a clear outline was given as to what it is to be anticipated. Uh, so it is evident that the UN is trying to keep its options open in order to allow for all sides to maneuver, hoping for a positive um, development in the informal conference. It was mentioned in the report that the, the, the aim of the conference is to see if the sides can reach a fertile ground for them to commence negotiations. 
So it, as we've said before, it's not going to be the restart of negotiations, but it will be uh, an investigating the ground. Having said that, I believe that deliberations are taking place behind the scenes, the deliberations that we are not in a position to know at the moment, but I don't think that the United Nations would leave things at random ahead of the 5 plus 1 conference. In the report, there was uh, an explicit mention uh, regarding the interest of the European Union in the conference and in the Cyprus problem negotiations as well. And for me, the most noteworthy aspect of this report was the fact that it was the first time, I, I stand to be corrected, of course, however, I believe it was the first time in the recent era that we've seen such a clear linkage being made between the Cyprus problem and developments in the broader region. So we had a, a clear attempt by the UN Secretary General to connect relations between Greece and Turkey with the Cyprus problem as well. Guterres also referred to greater implications that the Cyprus problem has on the broader region. So it is clear that what we have said many times in this podcast, that Cyprus is now part of a bigger game. It is not, this was not a report that solely focused on relations between the two communities or that it solely focused on the good officers mission in Cyprus. It was a report that uh, referred to the repercussions of the tension between uh, communities on the island and of the pending Cyprus problem in the broader region. And there was uh, an explicit mention referring to a positive impact that the solution to the Cyprus problem will have to uh, relations in the Eastern Mediterranean and uh, more extensively. So I believe that this was the most interesting part of the report, to be honest. For those who are not very familiar with the details of the Cyprus peace process, I think we should clearly mention that in the last 20 years, we had this unemployment period. And then after that, uh, there was this initiative to have the new process based and defined as a Cypriot-led process. And I think with the failure in Cram Montana, we can see the end of it. And um, in the sense that things are beyond our control now. Uh, Cyprus, as we mentioned many times, are now part of a bigger game. It's like a small chip in a bigger game. And then this is because whenever we think that we are more important than we are, and we think that we can control the whole situation just because we had our own agendas, politics prove us the opposite. And this is the problem now that we are now looking at the other developments in the region and other players to see how Cyprus problem will be solved. Uh, indeed, and I must say that I think that the United Nations, since uh, the Anand plan onwards, it had this trauma from the Anand plan, let's say, which was its direct involvement in pushing for a solution. And they evidently tried to avoid this in the attempts that followed. And, and the process that preceded the Gran Montana conference was an example of this because it was focused on a leaders-led process. And I believe that 2017 was the end of this leaders-led process. I'm not convinced as to the interest of the United Nations to re-engage 
to the extent that it had done so in 2004. But I think it is evident that they are trying to bring in more actors in the game and to put the Cyprus problem in the bigger scheme of things. And this is why interest of the European Union to be more actively involved is explicitly welcomed in the report. And this is why I believe that these close deliberations between the UN and the EU are currently taking place, trying to work for these two players, in a sense, the UN and the EU, uh, as they try to see how they can find a way out of of the Cyprus problem that is creating this blockage in relations in the wider region as well. We know that within the Cyprus problem context, there is this process which aims to solve the problem politically, the solution process. But then there is also a peace process, a process which tries to bring the communities and the people together. And uh, sometimes they are overlapping. Sometimes they are uh, one preceding the other. Sometimes they are going in parallel. In this time period, we know that uh, the CBMs again were brought back into the discussion by Anastasiades, I should say, as something that could be, I don't want to say replace the political process, but something that might lead to uh, something, uh, a new process in Cyprus talks. How do you see that? The CBMs, of course, is, is a very tricky tool because on one hand, it aims to bring the communities together. It tries to solve some problems even without waiting to solve the Cyprus problem. But at the same time, there is this criticism towards CBMs that it basically creates a comfort zone for the players as if they are solving the Cyprus problem, but they are not. So they are kind of creating uh, a comfort zone for to make them feel as if they are doing something without solving the Cyprus problem. So what's the latest on this? How do you see it? Well, as activists and peace activists, the two of us, we are part of an organization that has many times called for more CBMs. And we have called for more confidence-building measures and we have called for courageous confidence-building measures in order to facilitate contact and rapprochement on the island. Having said that, though, I believe that this issue is now turning into a double-edged sword because... You have on the one hand a political process, the, the one that finished in Gran Montana, that all sides have basically admitted that it reached so close to a solution. The United Nations Secretary General referred to a historic opportunity being missed. You've got the Republic of Cyprus Minister of Foreign Affairs on the record saying that we were a step before a solution in Gran Montana. And then three years later, after you have basically, well, we've discussed it many times, but after this hiatus of three years, you come and suggest confidence-building measures that are so deep-reaching that they could, in fact, substitute a discussion for a comprehensive solution. And they divert the attention from a discussion uh, on a comprehensive solution because we know that uh, Anastasiadis, the Republic of Cyprus president, he sent a, a letter to the United Nations Secretary General in which he suggested a series of, of confidence-building measures, including the return of closed city of Varosha under UN administration, 
and the return of, of Greek Cypriot legal owners to their properties in exchange for a discussion for a possible recognition of the airport in the north. So we are now, that was one of the confidence building measures that was mentioned in Anastasiadis' letter. So we are now at that stage in which whilst you claim that you are a step before a comprehensive solution, you come and you basically suggest a confidence building measure that is like you give to both sides something that they wanted for so long. Long, and it is like you are taking away uh, concrete incentives for a solution. Because if we agree that the status quo is so problematic and that it needs to change, something so drastic and far-reaching as this form of confidence-building measures could mean that the sides could basically compromise and say, okay, fair enough, we cannot solve the Cyprus problem. The North cannot get the official recognition. The South cannot get a return of territory back. So, okay, let's have each side compromise to getting something back, let's say from Augusta and the return of the owners there, and for the North to get the recognition of the airport in the North. We have discussed it amongst us many times. It is not an easy thing to say, but it is just that it is so frustrating to see that whilst they could be pushing for a comprehensive solution in the Cyprus problem, instead they choose to open up new chapters, chapters that had they opened them up or discussed them 10 years ago, for instance, things would have been much better today but in 2021 when you are literally on the verge of partition when you have de facto partition on the island and you have one of the sides openly coming out and claiming that they aim for a two-state solution by now I do not know how wise it is for one to open these big chapters of confidence-building measures that are so far-reaching that could create a new discussion that will substitute the discussion on the Cyprus problem in a sense. You know, these are things that I think of. I'm not uh, very clear on where I stand on the issue, but it is, you know, it is these sort of considerations that I believe that we should all have when we discuss these issues. Well, we all know that Cyprus problem is full of blacks and whites, but also many different uh, versions of greys as well. The problem, of course, here is that when you hit the opportunity and when you miss it, then you try to come up with some creative ideas which we don't know whether they will be really creative or will be contributing to the overall welfare of the Cypriots. That's another discussion. I mean, in the lack of this Cyprus talks, peace process, in the lack of sites really willing to uh, agree on a common aim. They don't even agree on the common aim now. I mean, the Turkish and the Turkish Cypriot side are talking about completely different things. So in the lack of even a common vision, then I can understand that maybe something that will be keeping us together could be useful. But of course I agree with you in the sense that when you miss the opportunity of solving the Cyprus problem, then you, of course, have to come up with this kind of medicines, if you like, which have so many side effects as well. And one might say, well, if we are to discuss leaving uh, the closed city of Varosha to rot or to open uh, in, in violation of the rights of the legal owners, one could say, isn't it better if we at least try to reach a solution regarding that issue, you know, at least to have that sorted out and to have the legal owners return. So it is really a very difficult uh, equation at the moment. Having said that, I still believe that what is lacking at the moment is the true political will uh, of the sides to proceed to a comprehensive solution, because had this been there, 
uh, we wouldn't have been discussing all this. Having said that, though, maybe we need to be realistic in our approach and maybe we need to be, you know, a bit more grounded regarding what we expect. So these are all... What this, but what are the, some of the reflections? Like, I, I heard some statements by... The former finance minister? Well, yeah, okay. Haris Georgiadis, he's not only the former finance minister of the Republic of Cyprus, he's also the vice president of DC, the leading party. Well, Haris Georgiadis came out last week with a very strange article in Kathimerini newspaper in which he, he referred to a new realism, in which he basically denounced a federation. In all honesty, I believe that uh, his line of argumentation is very naive and his line of argument shows a clear lack of an understanding of what is at stake when it comes to the Cyprus problem. I, I want to be clear on this. His main rhetoric focuses on the issue, oh, well, we have Turkey, we cannot trust Turkey, so how can I trust the Federation? This is his line of argumentation. Uh, and he's the vice president of this. And he's the vice he president <laughs> The official party line? I mean, uh, this well, sounds more like Tico or even, you know, Edek, if, if, if It I doesn't know. even sound like Dico, in fact, because Dico, despite all of its, you know, all of its uh, objections uh, when it comes to BBF, it has never come out openly and said that we don't want a BBF. It just says that we want a BBF with the right content. And then you have Haris Georgiadis, who followed up his article with an interview in Kathimerini that appeared on Sunday, the 10th of January. And in that article, he was saying, well, I don't want a federation without Morfo and without Famagusta. Uh, you cannot trust Turkey. And when the journalist, Marina Economido, asked him, okay, but you have the Guterres framework there, and that is your ground of, of optimism, he referred to, yeah, but Turkey. This is, uh, for me, reading it, it made me very upset because we are talking about the vice president of the leading party in the Republic of Cyprus, who appears without any understanding of a strategic approach when it comes to the Cyprus problem. We are discussing, we are at a stage in which the Turkish Cypriot leader is openly discussing a two-state solution. You are supposedly trying to salvage the situation by going to an informal party conference in which you supposedly put forward as a side the need for a bizonal by communal federation, and then this person appears and he basically gives all the arguments to the Turkish Cypriot leader to claim, well, you see, not even the Greek Cypriots do not do not want a BBF. Had he had a suggestion, you know, I'm not one of those people who does not want to discuss any other option or who doesn't allow people to express their objections to some parts of a, of a federation, etc. I want everything to be put uh, to a discussion and to an open debate. But I expect from those who express so so big statements, let's say, to have a suggestion, to have a suggestion as to what their other options that they that they prefer are. Haris uh, Georgiadis, he came out, he demonized the uh, federation. He there was no sense of acknowledgement in his statements that we are talking about the solution that will be under the United Nations, under the EU supervision, and all of this. And he had absolutely no suggestion as to, okay, what else? And this led to uh, a whole discussion as to, is he actually openly saying that we need to proceed to a two-state solution? Or is he openly saying that we need to accept partition? Because he made some statements of the sort that refugees are all dead. Uh, you have Turkey extending its grasp on the north. So Then what? 
then what exactly and the, having said that on Monday the 11th of January the sea came out in a very uh, in my opinion cowardice stance it came out and it said that in an official statement the sea said that they have always been in favor of a bizonal bicommunal federation and that this is their stance well I'm sorry but if this is your stance you need to openly refer to what your vice president said. You cannot uh, make a vague statement in which you say, oh, we have always been in favor of a BBF without, you know, referring to the elephant in the room, which is the statements made by your uh, vice president. And that was on Cathy Merini, right? Yes, it was on Cathy Merini. Interesting. Cathy Merini seems like hosting uh, interesting articles recently. There was one another um article by Andreas Parachos. Yes, Andreas Parachos, he's the editor of Katimerini. And again, in his uh, Sunday article column on uh, the 10th of January, he openly said that Anastasiadis had spoken to him about uh, a two-state solution and he had told him that he would uh, discuss it with the European Union and the Archbishop as well. And uh, he even referred to the passport scheme, apparently, saying that the existence of the passport scheme was not giving an incentive for a solution to Anastasiadis. And the Parascos' column came two weeks after an interview by the Archbishop of uh, the Church of Cyprus, Chrysostomos, who had openly stated that Anastasiadis had spoken to him about a two-state solution but that uh, he had disagreed, the Archbishop. Um, so, and I think it is important to mention that Parascos was one of the very first journalists who had referred to uh, Anastasiadis discussing other models of solution. He had explicitly referred, since October 2018, I think, he had explicitly referred to Anastasiadis opening discussions on a two-state solution and a confederation. But this was the first time in which he gave his personal account that Anastasiadis talked to him about a two-state solution. So yes, interesting it, developments in. Well, I don't, I don't call them development. I should say interesting news coming from the the Greek Cypriot community. I should say, but I haven't been seeing drastic reactions or um, you know responses to to such statements. Am I wrong? This is the most uh, frustrating and disappointing uh, thing of all, uh, Kemal. Honestly, I cannot imagine someone else coming out and making all these revelations about other politicians who would openly discuss a two-state solution, who would openly raise a discussion on a change of a solution, etc., without an uproar being created. And now we have all this discussion of our president referring to a two-state solution, seeking a two-state solution. You have the vice president of the leading party coming out and challenging the main objective of the Republic of Cyprus since 1977, which has been a BBF, and nobody's reacting. Nobody is complaining. Nobody is coming out to say, "Look, we are uh, we are supposedly ahead of a five plus one party conference that we want to seek for a BBF that we want to put forward for the last time if we are not even too late uh, to discuss this issue." 
and nobody is reacting on the ground, nobody seems to care. It is as if we are so apathetic about this whole thing. And I think it's partly because of the fact that there is an elephant in the room, which is Turkey and Turkey's position, um, and now the, the position of the new Turkish Cypriot leadership. I think the fact that uh, Turkey is openly taking a position against a federal solution is is uh, hiding these differences within the Greek Cypriot community and people wouldn't really mind not discussing it in the sense that they think that there is not much to be done um, except to really corner Turkey towards a, a solution path. But talking about Turkey, I think um, we go back to our earlier discussion, Andromahi, in the sense that now Cyprus is, is a part of a bigger game. It's part of a discussion between Greece and Turkey. It's a part of Asian uh, problem. It's part of Eastmed problem. Turkey, on the other hand, has been playing, uh, being acting like a real bully. Um, when it comes to international relations and uh, having problems with multiple regional and global players is not helping um, Turkey's diplomatic standing, really. And um, in 2021, I think there are attempts uh, by Erdogan's uh, party and his government to mend some of the relations, starting with the US and France and the EU. I said France particularly because there was uh, tough times back in 2020 um, when it comes to diplomatic um, positioning of both sides. But I cannot see this happening very easily because just like in any authoritarian government, it is basically a coalition. The nationalists and uh, the former um, army officials who are quite anti-American and they're dreaming the blue homeland and all these, those uh, circles have been supporting Erdogan. And Erdogan cannot ditch them now because uh, he doesn't have any other, any other side to, to work with. Actually, he cornered himself. We know that he, in the past, uh, successfully changed positions very easily in a short period of time. And uh, the recent attempts to to mend the relationship of Turkey with the EU um, failed because of this uneasy coalition, because the nationalists uh, told him off. And uh, I think Erdogan is now, despite how it looks from outside, is finding itself more cornered. So I don't know how this will affect Cyprus in the sense that one way or another, Turkey needs to fix its relations with the EU for economic and political reasons. And we have a new Biden administration coming up and uh, we have economic difficulties Turkey is facing. So I don't know how Turkey will continue to play a hawkish position when it comes to the Cyprus problem. But um, again, it's so sad that the Cypriots are basically being dragged into it rather than being part of it, being part of the discussion, trying to defend the rights and the long-term expectations of the Cypriots. It is interesting what you mentioned because I was just reading an article just before the podcast. I was just reading an article in Al Monitor in which it was referring to attempts by um, Turkey to mend its relations with Egypt. Things are very difficult and very complicated in that front, but as the article was basically saying that uh, Turkey uh, seeks for an understanding with Egypt um, 
on the issue of Libya and on the issue of the East Med uh, gas. So I, I... And Romahi, what really, you know, sorry for interrupting, but what really pisses me off is that these are the big players, you know, they're fighting one day and then they're trying to mend their relations the other day. Now Turkey is trying to fix its relations with Israel. Turkey is giving good messages to, to the US, to France. And whether it will work or not, it's another discussion. But we Cypriots, we try to play in the same league. We try to act as a superpower. And we found ourselves in the fringes each and every time. And the others are making their deals or they're fighting. And we are the ones getting the beat. Exactly. And we, we just take sides of the major players uh, and we refuse to uh, look at our own interests and to sort our own issues <laughs> basically, at least to stand up on our own for a bit. Well, before we conclude, I think briefly I mentioned what's going on in the Turkish Cypriot community. We are now having a right-wing minority coalition trying to choose a speaker of the Turkish Cypriot parliament. And even that is becoming very difficult with all the party feuds, all the, the problems and discussion. We are getting signals from Kudret Özersay that he is now coming back to the game again. He is re-candidating to become the party leader. I think people are mainly focused on getting rid of this COVID uh, problem so that they can really focus on the economy and on other priorities in, in their own lives. Um, there are discussions about the vaccinations, when it's going to start. Some jabs will be coming from Turkey. So these are the main uh, discussion issues at the moment in the Turkish Cypriot community. Just to mention that uh, in the South we are in a three-week lockdown. <laughs> so we are back, uh, you know, restricted at home. The sending of SMS is back. Don't ask my opinion on that, Kemal. Like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> let's leave our frustration on the Cyprus problem and not let's not discuss the issues of the lockdown. In any case, as we said before, we are in a more privileged position than others, but still. Um, One of my targets for 2021, Andromahi, is to swim in the waters of Amagusta together with you, my friend. <laughs> well, if we don't make it happen, uh, Kemal, it means that we will be in a dramatic situation. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, thanks for listening. Thank, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you very much.